0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Taking Care of Business podcast. My name is Renee Shagnon, and I'm NHPA's Retail Engagement Specialist, and I'm also the producer of this podcast. Today, I'll be co-hosting this episode with Melanie Mal, NHPA's Communications and Content Manager, and we're so excited for the guest we're bringing on today.
1: Travis Detter is the president of Spectrum Paint Company, which he co-founded in 1986. The company has since grown to over 600 employees with 92 stores in 10 states and growing, making it the largest independent paint dealer in the United States. Travis has served on and off on the All Pro Corporation Board of Directors over the last 10 years, including serving a term as president. He also serves on the Board of Directors for Stride Bank in Oklahoma. He and his wife, Gigi, are active in Cedar Point Church in Claremore, Oklahoma, where they reside. He also has two daughters and their families, which includes
0: four grandchildren. Uh,
1: Travis, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, we're so excited to have you on. Um, to get started, do you mind maybe you know going off of that introduction we gave and just tell us a little bit about yourself? And I'd love to hear your history in the home improvement industry.
2: Well, you know, I've been in it my entire adult life. It wasn't anything that I was uh, planning to get in. Uh, both of my uh, yeah, I grew up. Both my grandparents were farmers, and I, I guess maybe uh, one of them owned a feed store and a hatchery and maybe that's uh what gave me the entrepreneurial spirit but uh i don't think i ever dreamed of being you know in the paint business or the or the hardware business either one but uh growing up you know, both my grandparents were farmers and i guess that gave me a little bit of the entrepreneurial spirit uh one of them owned a, a retail feed store and Uh, So, you know, I think as I was growing up, I I thought about that, getting into business for myself a little bit. But uh, um, anyway, I started the business at the age of 22 and and, uh, just went from there.
0: Yeah.
1: So uh, that first, that first store opened in 1986 in Tulsa. Um, so, what kind of led you in down the direction of opening a paint store? So, you said your your family kind of came from from feed retail. So, where did you land on paint?
2: Well, we were. I was going to college, and my uh, wife was working. We would got married while I was still in college, and uh, uh, she became pregnant with our first child. Uh, Gentry and and uh, so I decided to take a few months off college or, uh, and and work and and uh, try to get through this uh, 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 period of, of our life and and uh, went to work for uh, some family family friends of ours that had a, a regional paint manufacturing company and uh, um, unfortunately they were under uh capitalized and went out of business and uh, I think um, they we were primarily selling industrial paint and uh, so in 1986 I guess February uh, my dad uh, kind of helped me get started uh, he put uh, he he was leaving town and going to another job in Texas so he left his fishing boat and we sold it and he left his pick up and uh, and then I think it was maybe $7,500 cash. It wasn't much cash other than, and, and then we sold the boat to come up with some more cash and started uh, our store out of a mini storage uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma in, in that February of that year with just me as an employee.
1: Have you replaced the boat since?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> I have a couple of times. Okay. But like they say, uh, 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 it, it but yeah, no, I don't have a vote now.
1: <laughs> um, how did you land on the name Spectrum Paint?
2: Well, we were uh, kind of sitting in, in my house or my parents' house and, and my wife came up with that name. We were brainstorming and she, she came up with Spectrum Paint.
1: Awesome. Uh, what do you remember most about the early years of the business? You said you were the only employee at first. So how did that go for you early on?
2: Well, it was, uh, you know, I always tell people I I wasn't as disciplined that first year as I probably should have been. I I was like, I'm I'm my own boss. And that was kind of cool. So, you know, I'd go out and sell paint and, uh, I'd also be the one that delivered it. And back then we carried pagers before cell phones. So uh, we didn't really have an office. So we, you know, we put a, uh, a company phone in my mother-in-law's house and uh, I would carry a pager. And so the customers would call her and uh, then she would immediately page me and I would call back and, and, and deal with the customer. But uh, uh, the, the, I think the probably I didn't work as hard as that first year. And I think some point by the end of that first year, I realized, uh, that this could be, you know, I could be very successful at this and, and start putting my nose to the grindstone. By that second year, I was uh, definitely working six or seven days a week and really trying to get it off the ground because didn't make much money this first year. I think my, uh, Social Security statement says I made about four thousand dollars in nineteen eighty
0: six.
1: Were you focused? Uh, were you still in the industrial space at first? Industrial and and like contractor?
2: Yeah. So the first couple of years it was strictly industrial coatings, and one of the industrial coatings a manufacturer, Trinity Coatings, out of Fort Worth, was our first our first supplier. And, uh, you know, they made, they made industrial coatings and they made lacquers. And so the lacquers kind of got me interested in uh, uh, painting contractors and, and because, you know, realized that they were buying quite a bit of lacquer. And so I would start selling lacquers to some of the paint contractors here in Claremore and, and a little bit in Tulsa before we even had architectural paint. Uh, but that also got me looking for an architectural paint brand, uh, at that time uh, to sell along with it. And, uh, as uh, things started getting exciting as far as the architectural part, you know, it, it being different than the industrial.
0: Sure. Totally. So when did you, I guess, and it sounds like in the, in the early years you were working out of like a warehouse, you didn't necessarily have a storefront, but, um, when did you have that official kind of first storefront? And then when did you go from that to the second store?
2: Well, by the second year I found a a business that it sold, uh, sandblasting equipment, uh, and, and some spray equipment, but they really didn't sell paint. And we were still selling primarily industrial paint, even though I was starting to get into the architectural part of the business. We were still primarily selling uh, protective coatings. Uh, we sold paint for water tanks. It was more some OEM, but also some heavy duty protective coatings uh, from cook paint, which eventually was purchased by Sherwin Williams. And I, and I had to move, move brands, but uh so I jumped in with them and, and kind of uh, used kind of paid them uh, a rent and also there was a couple ladies that worked in there uh, that took orders and they would also take orders for me and and then contact me again on my pager and mm-hmm. I would still be at that time you know taking out orders or I had a, a college friend and a brother-in-law that were both uh, in the area and uh, one of them was attending University of Tulsa and I would call them occasionally to run some deliveries.
0: Yeah. So, so uh, what year was it that you opened store number two? And I mean, what was the experience like going at that time from having one single operation to saying, okay, now I'm going to have two stores and I got to figure out how to manage multiple locations?
2: Well, by 1988, we, we had a full fledged store with our own people, uh, a couple of our own people working full time. And, and, and really by 1992, we opened up our second uh, location, 1992, 1993, in that time period, uh, they were only about five miles apart, but the second location was a full blown architectural, uh, retail store with wallpaper, mini blinds, uh, window treatments, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Was it a challenge in those are like going to the second or were you at that point already, you know, so deep in it that you understood how to kind of manage a lot of things, you know, going on at once?
2: It was definitely a challenge. You know, we we had that we hired uh, first time I really hired decorators or, or de- uh, designers to work uh, in the paint store. Um, I I was still working in the store sometimes, also selling paint sometimes. But that was my primary role in the, in, in those days was to be out selling paint. Um, but I would work Saturdays, so I still had an active role and still uh, was working a lot of hours to try to make this thing, uh, successful.
0: Yeah,
1: sure. Um, so today, uh, you've grown slightly larger than two stores. You've got, uh, 600 employees and over 90 stores in nine States. Um, so did you imagine in those early years, did, did you have a growth plan that you thought might take you to the place that the business is today?
2: No, I and I've asked that question quite often, and, and I really had no idea we'd ever get to this many stores or this many people. I always knew we wanted to grow, and I think even from the very beginning, whenever I would talk to our prospective vendors or suppliers, you, you know, I wanted to be able to compete with anybody. I didn't want to just uh, be satisfied with having a you know one store and and you know, selling certain kinds of customers. We wanted to sell the big contractors, the small contractors, uh, as well as the homeowners. And, uh, but we wanted to be competitive. And uh, so I think that's been a focus since day one and uh, been a big part of who we are today. Uh, But no, I didn't never realize we'd get to to this size uh, in, in the beginning.
1: Sure. Um, what was the first state you went to outside Oklahoma? Did you go to Texas first?
2: Well, 2005, we're still not in Texas, by the way, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, you would think that's logical. Uh, people ask me about that today. Uh, but in 2005, we went from eight to 12 stores. And, and I will tell people that that was probably the biggest challenge. Uh, you know, we bought... 11 stores at a time, uh, six or seven years ago when we went, when we went into Virginia, but nothing was like going from eight to 12. Uh, we bought two, uh, what were then ICI stores and two, uh, uh, two stores owned by Benjamin Moore dealer in Arkansas back in 2005. And, uh, I, I I didn't sleep well for a few nights there (laughs) trying to figure all that out.
1: Yeah. Um, is your is your strategy mostly to to acquire existing businesses, or have you done ground up builds, new new stores? What's your strategy there?
2: That's a great question. We've uh, and I've gone back and looked at that. It's it, we probably. Uh, Acquired a few more than we've opened, but we've opened, uh, gosh, at least 40, 45 stores of ours were open from from scratch. And especially this year, uh, we probably have six or seven stores that will open uh, from scratch this year uh, and along with several acquired stores. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be probably the one of the bigger years for acquisitions. We kind of slowed down a little bit in 2020. I think the uh world stopped there there in March and April and and we you know nobody in our industry knew what was going to happen so we kind of put on the brakes and and just waited to see how this thing uh, would go with the pandemic.
0: So, so, do you think in uh 2023 are you going to hit that 100 mark?
2: Uh, we're going to be pretty close by the end of this year.
0: That's Actually,
2: we've, we've got uh, three acquisitions on the horizon, and we still have three or four more stores uh, that are scheduled to open before the end of the year. That's
0: exciting. So,
2: yes, definitely will happen in, uh, in 20, by 2023.
0: Well, hopefully we can be there for that 100th store to celebrate with you guys.
2: Yeah, that'll be I'm a, sure a, a milestone.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so you said that for the first couple of years, your primary role was out in, out in this, in the sales world, selling paint. So at what point did you kind of realize I need to step back from sales and be more kind of a business, uh, inside the business person?
2: Oh, I, I, uh, uh,
1: Maybe you haven't made that decision uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I still like to go out <laughs> and
2: sell. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. But, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, we've hired some very good people over the years, and we have a lot of good talent in operations and in sales. And, and I think uh, uh, I probably realized I had a, a, a gentleman that was capable of being a good sales manager uh, back in the late nineties, uh, early 2000 that, that, uh, helped us in one of our, uh, outside market, oh, Oklahoma city and, and Northwest Arkansas were the first markets we moved out of. And, and so, you know, I gave, I, that was kind of the first time I gave up the role of sales manager and, uh, uh, you know, his name is Chris Lancaster. He did a very good job for us and, and really helped, uh, to where I could at least divert my attention, I, I kind of moved on to looking for other acquisitions and, uh, and focused on some areas that, the weaknesses that we needed to work on.
1: So uh, overall, what's kind of your employee development strategy? Do you focus on you know the people who come into your stores? Do you try to cultivate those people into leaders and then um, managers? What's kind of your strategy there?
2: Well, we hired a full-time trainer, uh, I guess, and created that position about three years ago. And uh, so we're training uh, our people to be counter sales first and foremost. And then, and then we develop it. We have another program that's a store management training program. So we put the people through those, even if they're not store managers, we want them to be prepared. Um, and, and, and then sometimes you look outside, but most of the time we develop our own store managers uh, and our sales. We almost have a one-to-one ratio with outside salespeople to stores. It's probably not quite there. Uh, it's probably about eighty to ninety percent. Uh, but uh, sometimes we found our best salespeople come from within our company or people that we see that uh, may we may not be. Looking for that position, but an opportunity presents itself, and we see somebody that with, with the aptitude uh, that that we'll hire. Selling is, you know, we can teach. I always tell people we can teach them about pain if, if you if you know how to sell, and uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I think we've been very successful with our with our sales
3: program.
1: Um, have you had challenges with labor over the last couple of years? Have you had to kind of find unique solutions to that?
2: Yeah, it's been. Uh, we actually hired, a, uh, created another position uh, at the beginning of this year as a, as a, in our, within our HR department. We hired a, a recruiting person. So that person was just uh, full time charged every day with, with trying to find talent uh, and, and people for our company. So, um, it's it's been very challenging and i think it you know it's it's a it's been a difficult time for the uh, uh, our people our employees i think a lot of uh, not just our employees but people everywhere and and uh, i think people look around and uh, it's just been a different time i think people think different about their jobs and uh, of course the unemployment's been very low and, and you know, we're we're very focused on, on how to make uh, our company a place that uh, is rewarding for employees to work at, and it's it's an ongoing uh, endeavor. Uh, but definitely, it's it's, it's probably our it's pr- definitely the most important thing for me. Uh, as big as we've gotten, I'm, I'm, you know, growing even is even the even the growth of our company is. So our employees will have an opportunity to move up uh, and and develop into uh, other roles within our company. I think our employees want to be part of a growing company.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. So our team got to make a visit to Oklahoma earlier this summer, um, and we really loved getting uh, to get out there, visited with Gentry, um, and uh, we we saw your Claremore location and then one of your locations in Tulsa. Um, I know that you had had, the store in Claremore is in a new location, but you'd been in Claremore for a little bit, Correct. Correct. So what was it like getting to when you did finally open that uh, first store, And then now that you're in that new, beautiful space, what's it like having, um, you know, another, another office above the building in one of your, your um, stores in your own hometown? Has that been rewarding for you? Is it kind of nice having that home base there?
2: It really has. Uh, we, we've been in Claremore for about eight years, uh, I guess, and I think for the first Five years. A lot of people didn't know we were here. We we yeah. were, you know, uh, a little bit off the beaten path. But uh, I know when we moved downtown, we're we're right in the middle of, of Claremore and on the same block as one of the historic hotels here in Claremore and the very center point of town. And we we took a, a property here, purchased it, and renovated it, and then put an old uh, uh, neon sign on the corner of the building. And, and, uh, uh, there's a lot of antique stores down here. So I don't think they were real excited that a paint store was coming to downtown, yeah. but, but I think we, we hear a lot of compliments. And I, I know people, friends of mine even say, Oh, I'm glad you finally opened a store in Claremore. And I was
0: <laughs> You're telling, like-
2: We've been here for a few years, but thanks. And but yeah. definitely the traffic and the sales increased uh, dramatically when we moved downtown.
0: Yeah. Do you think that it's also helpful for, cause I know your marketing team works out of that office. Um, and a few other people work out of that office above there's the second floor. So people can work above the store. Um, do you think it's helpful for, for them to be able to, you know, work from one of your locations? So if you want to see what's going on, you can just go downstairs and see what's happening on the sales floor right there.
2: Yeah. It's helpful for them. I don't know how excited the guys working in the <laughs> store feel, but, uh, they definitely get a, a lot of, uh, Uh, scrutiny but they do a really good job and we make sure we have a really good staff here because they're waiting on a lot of people I go to church with and know in the community and at the watching my grandchildren at the soccer fields and things like that
0: yeah um so as as you've grown um what has your team done to be able to keep the spectrum pain experience consistent across you know as many stores as you have
2: well, uh, we have annual meetings for our managers and our account managers. Of course, that's been disrupted uh, the last two years with uh, COVID. We thought we were going to sneak one in February and then uh, things got kind of bad again by the time we were having it but we will have another we will have a meeting for sure in tulsa where we bring every manager in and every sales rep in and you know we get to share our message we bring our vendors in and uh uh, as well as our our entire corporate team Uh, so at least we get that meeting once a year um we have regional managers we have uh Currently, you know, eight full regions, uh, each region manager, you know, has between eight and 12 stores. Uh, there's a regional ops manager and a regional sales manager, and, and we rely on them to kind of keep the, their, their group of stores and group of sales reps uh, uh, in, in the communication uh, of what we're trying to do corporately.
1: Totally. Um, so one thing we've heard quite a bit over the last couple of years is retailers have, have kind of been pivoting their, their strategy on technology and e-commerce and, and just kind of trying to reach people where they are on their phones. Um, so how has Spectrum kind of used technology to either uh, increase efficiency internally or to reach customers externally?
2: Well, you know, it, it, my daughter gentry uh stafford she is our vice president of marketing and uh well she hate me for just saying that was her title but uh uh, store development uh and marketing but she uh does a good job on on social media platform and 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 also keeping up with our uh, website but we also have a, a pretty good it group that we have a contractor ordering platform called Spec Connect. We have a, an e-commerce site, a DIY, where DIY customers can come on and order. They're two different sites uh, because they have different needs, and uh, uh, so those are live and been and seem to be growing every month uh, and, and doing a good job. But uh, we also have Spectrum IQ, which is. Uh, an inter- a site for our employees where they can, uh, you know, even from the very beginning when they begin to work for us, they go on there and, and, and they can uh, utilize that. Our, our sales reps uh, can go on there, and we have our own CRM uh, system for customers that we've developed uh, internally. Um you know, as well as our expense reporting. And so we've done a lot. It's not me. It's uh, some of the, the people that work for us, because uh, sometimes I have to get help using it, to be honest with you. But uh, we have the tools of, you know, probably a much larger company than ourselves. So it's very beneficial.
1: Were the e-commerce sites set up prior to the pandemic? Was that something you had invested in uh, years ago?
2: we were working on them, but I think we were, we were, we kind of sped up the process and we launched them fairly quickly when the, and during the, when the pand- pandemic started. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were pretty quick.
0: So I know we, you touched on the importance of this a little bit earlier, but um, do you mind, you know, telling us a little bit more about some of the training and developing um, things that you do for your employees Um I, when we visited, I learned about some of those things from Gentry, but I'd love to hear kind of has that always been your vision? Is helping lead people through different training and development opportunities, and um, what's it like seeing that grow and seeing people be able to come in a, a, as a on the sales floor and grow and and you know maybe make their way up to being a regional manager or something like that.
2: Yeah, so I, I you know I was slow to 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 get on our training program in the beginning because i felt like you know i learned everything from uh on the job and i think the first 50 people i hired learned from being on the job training and asking questions and answering questions and and uh working with the customers and and there's so much to learn in this business but uh uh we started putting up now it's gone back at least 10 12 years we started you know even longer than that but the, the, the program got fairly formal you know 10 or 12 years ago and then we hired a full-time uh, trainer you know three years ago so everybody that comes on we go through an onboarding and and I was in a meeting the other day and I swear they they said something' like, they're there 36 hours of process you know wow. training that they do and learning about the uh, uh, the paint business and, and our policies and procedures and um, you know, how we take care of customers and things like that. And, you know, they're, they, obviously they, they're given time and they're paid uh, to do that training. Uh, and then, and then again, the, the formal training, which is we bring them uh, to one of our regional locations and do the counter sales training, which is uh, like two and a half days. And then the store, operations management training, which is two to two and a half days as well. Uh, but then, you know, we we depend on, depend on our vendors to come in and do product training, at sure. least on a quarterly basis. And, and we use our regional managers just uh, to, to coordinate that training uh, at the regional level.
0: Have you noticed a change or, or like, you know, have you heard from other regional managers or different people who are involved? You know, our team is doing you know, a lot better in stores or is, is easier, able to help a customer, that type of thing. Because, you know, sometimes I, I work with retailers all the time. I'm talking to them about the importance of training and a lot of times people will agree, but then they'll, in the same breath, they'll be like, but I can't get people to want to do the training or they don't want to sit down and, you know, look at a computer and do something or even some of the in-store training they're like not receptive to um, and they asked me, what do I do? And I'm like, well, you kind of have to just enforce it. But um, what are your kind of thoughts on the differences you've seen from people having more resources at their fingertips?
2: Well, it's a it's a huge benefit. We, we were slowed down a little bit because we like to do our training in person. And of course, sure. the pandemic and COVID obviously slowed that down again, but we've we've gotten that back going. We try we try to do some of it online, which just wasn't nearly as effective. But no, that the, the definitely the training is key, and we've noticed a big improvement uh, within our stores, and uh, you know, uh, understanding of what our policies are and how we like to take care of people, and and just uh, understanding you know a little bit about more about paint and uh, uh, the applications and everything else that go along with our industry.
0: Sure.
1: Um, So we've seen, uh, I think over the last several years, uh, retailers on the hardware side have been exploring paint. And so paint retailers have been exploring hardware and you guys have kind of edged your way into the hardware market. So you have two uh, paint and hardware stores now in Virginia. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of why you went that direction and and maybe what you kind of learned that may be different about the two uh, channels?
2: Well, you know what's not fun about a hardware store. I mean, it's uh, from uh, you know. I wish there was one. I had one here in my in my hometown, but um, so I, I think it was. I was sitting on an all pro board, and uh, we were. I was talking about. Oh, I wish I had a hardware store like Glenn. It was another member out there that had hardware stores. And then like three more guys popped up and said, we have hardware stores too. So I think half the board at the time was involved in hardware stores. Either they started as hardware store and added paint or or vice versa, they purchased them. So I, I guess it was more prevalent than I thought. And, and we have definitely seen hardware stores uh, find success Really putting a paint store within their hardware store, not not having a paint department, but almost having a paint store within their hardware store. Because you see hardware stores that just kind of like got a little paint section over there, and they, you know, they try to avoid it. But there's a lot of hardware stores that really uh, focus on it and have done a good job. And I've seen several of those on my travels, uh, and, and you know, when looking at acquisitions and. And some of our competitors, so I thought. Well, if if the hardware stores can be successful putting a paint store in, why can't we be successful putting a hardware store in? And we had one store in Richmond, Virginia, uh, that had the space. Uh, I don't know if it was the ideal location uh, as far as demographics, but it was definitely had the space to put a hardware store in, and the demographics were so-so. So So we did that uh, in about three years, and uh, it went. You know, it it added some volume to the store. It certainly didn't hurt. Uh, But then we we said, you know, we really need to focus on a location where the demographics are strong, a bedroom community that that really needs a hardware store. So late last year, we opened up a second hardware store in the same uh, city of Richmond. Uh, But it blew blew away our expectations. And uh, one of our most successful stores of any type that we've ever opened. And matter of fact, the manager uh, gave me a call this morning and uh, just uh, kind of we were talking about how well it was going. So it's been a been a really good uh, venture, and uh, it's just fun to go in those hardware stores. It's a little different for me. Like I said, uh, uh, I think we've got a lot of our retired guys guys that are retired that want to want us to open hardware stores so they can tinker in the hardware store and, and, like and they as they're part time when they retire. So and we try to hire. Some retired people to work in those hardware stores too. It's a great, a great place for guys that uh, have retired from their uh, primary job and uh, you know just want to work fifteen or twenty hours a week.
0: Sure, I love that. Um, so, as the leader of a growing company, I know you're very busy. You travel a lot. Um, how do you make sure to stay in touch with your leaders at your stores? And, um, you know, are you are you popping into stores in all the different states you're in on a frequent basis? How does that kind of work for you?
2: So it's it's kind of random, I think, up until about three years ago, I made sure I was in every store at least once a year. Uh, mm-hmm. Then probably, you know, COVID uh, and even the year before that probably started slowing that down. I didn't I didn't wasn't able to maintain that. I, I shouldn't say I wasn't able to, I mean, I just didn't, I I didn't make it around. But since we didn't have our meetings this year, I actually took two months uh, at the end of February, March, in through, through early April. And I visited every single store uh, because we couldn't have our meeting and I wanted to get out into the stores and we gave them a schedule. So they knew I was coming and you know, I just wanted to get in there and thank our people. Uh, you know, really, f- not just for last year, but for, you know, last couple of years, and and uh, see if they had any questions or give them a chance to uh, you know talk to me and, and uh, express any concerns they have. But uh, it really uh, was it, uh, it, it it was. It really invigorated me more than probably them is getting out there and, and seeing the quality of people we have and uh, uh, the people we have out there taking care of our customers. It was, it was it was a fun experience.
0: Well, I travel a lot for my job as well, so I know it's uh, it's fun, but it's also a little exhausting. I'm sure. Um, is there any like highlights from over your time visiting and getting into stores or anything that, you know, stands out to you from, from looking back on, on these, uh, road trips you've been on yourself?
2: Oh gosh. Just, just, just meeting the people. And, and, uh, I, I I went into one store and, and, uh, it was a counter sales employee, you know, that, uh, they walked up and they said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm Travis debtor. And, and they said, no, you're not. <laughs> so it was kind of a, that was kind of a funny experience. So uh, felt like an undercover, undercover boss there for a second, but, uh, no, it's, uh, there's, there's, it's just really, it, you know, we're in so many different areas, uh, in every, every state, the people are different. And, uh, and yeah. I think what, yeah, I think when we went to the East coast, I, I remember, uh, somebody telling me, it's like, well, you're going to, you're not, you won't succeed out there. The people are different. Business is different. It's just, you, you, you will you know, Oklahoma, but you don't, you won't know the East coast. And, and, and I think my response was, you know, customer service, taking care of customers is pretty you know, much universal and, uh, universally important. And, uh, uh, I think we've been successful out there, but it's, it's not because of, uh, you know, me or, you know, my sales manager, it's because of the people, you know, it's, that's what I tell our people all the time. It's, uh, our, our people have to be excited about what they're doing. And, and that shows when, when our customers come in the store and we've got some, we've got some great people and, uh, they help us to be successful.
0: That's awesome. hmm
1: Um, so one thing I, I try to tell my, my content creators here is that the, the pandemic is, is here right now. Um, but I, but I try to focus on like forward thinking. Um, and so I will ask you, um, you know, were there any challenges that, that your business experienced, you know, kind of Outside of any typical challenges that the whole industry was experiencing um, during the height of the pandemic, but but then the follow up to that is, what are the things that you kind of learned that you're carrying into the future of the business?
2: Well, you know, I we had hired our first uh, uh, safety uh, and health director, kind of in that mm-hmm. HR position. Actually, it was uh, also uh, my youngest daughter, she was a registered nurse and she wanted to come into the business. So we basically, you know, kind of got her involved with the health insurance, but so involved in health and safety of our employees and and right before COVID started. So she didn't know what she was walking into uh, and she stayed very busy. And so some of the things, you know, the challenges, I guess, that we learned and, and experienced during that, it was. Obviously, our country uh, and, and our employees are very divided over it. And uh, but I think they were, uh, you know, we just tried to get everybody to be respectful of everybody. Uh, you know, you had guys that didn't want to wear a mask and guys that didn't want anybody around them that wasn't wearing a mask. And um, we, you know, we definitely kept a mask policy for a for a long time. And, and, uh, once everybody had a chance to get the, the vaccinations, whether they wanted them or not, was there, was up, we left up to them, but, uh, um, we, did, then we kind of lifted the masking policy when, when a lot of companies were doing that, but we still have employees that are concerned and wear masks and, um, and everybody respects, I think they do a good job of respecting each other, which is really, I guess, the message that we tried to, uh, send out there to, to, to be respectful with each other.
1: We talked uh, earlier that you're probably going to hit that 100 store mark sooner rather than later. Um, so, so outside of kind of growth expansion, what are kind of some of your key goals going into the next couple of years for the company?
2: We have an advisory board. It's not really a, we have a board of directors, but we also have an advisory board. Uh, it, it's kind of people that I've known uh, that are executives in the industry uh, and uh, along with my father still and a couple of people within our company. But uh, so one of the goals that we've set for ourselves uh, recently, and it's something we've actually done over the last 20 years is, is I think one of the goals is to try to double our size every five years. Uh, And we, we can do that in a financial a financially responsible way. Uh, you know, we don't want to lose sight of who we are and uh, but we also don't want to slow down. and uh, I know a lot of companies that get to a certain size and they say, okay, you know we've made it. We're making good, good money, but again, it's 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 about creating opportunity for our people. They want to grow. If you find successful people, successful employees, want to grow. And, uh, so that is just kind of a, just a goal that we have for ourselves. And, and like I said, we've done that over the last 20 years and hopefully we can do that over the next 20.
0: That's great. Um, I didn't have this in my list of questions, but I'd also love to know what has it been like for you? I know you mentioned, you were the one who founded the company, but then you brought your dad on and then both of your daughters are involved. What's it like getting to, you know, in addition to working with great employees, but also getting to work with family? What's that been like over the years for you?
2: It's It's been great. So my dad was, financially, we wouldn't have been here without him yeah. uh, from the beginning. And, and I was able to work for a, a little bit of money. So I was the first employee. But uh, I guess it was about eight years after we started the business in 1994, he came on full time and really, you know, that was, uh, some great years that I got to spend with him working in the business and, uh, and he, he was tireless, you know, in his work ethic and, and just, uh, uh, you know, we would we would we would actually get into it a little bit. Sometimes mm-hmm. I was really kind of focused on sales, and he was uh, doing a lot of the purchasing and things like that. And there was a uh, we we butt heads, but at night we you know we'd go to dinner and and yeah. it, our house or his house, and everything was fine. So it was it we were, we became very close.
0: Has it been fun getting to see your daughters in the business as well now? Get to work absolutely.
2: With them? Yeah, we've got a few. Uh, nephews and and cousins and then of course my daughters and uh the son-in-law and and uh, it it's been it's been enjoyable uh getting to spend uh time with those people
0: yeah i have to say sure. i got to compliment your daughter gentry has been Uh, Such a great person to get to know in the paint industry. You know, we're still new, um, having changed from NRHA to NHPA and getting involved and going to All Pro. And so my first show, I met her, and uh, she's been a great contact to have in the industry and has been very welcoming and is... Uh, able to explain things to me if I don't quite understand it because I'm still learning the paint side of the business but um, so I just wanted to let you know I've just really enjoyed getting to know her and I'm glad we got to get out and visit your your uh, stores out there too.
2: Well I'm glad you came out yeah Gentry's office is just uh, right down the hall she keeps me alive.
0: Yeah, she does. Um, so one last question. Uh for any listener who's hearing this and, and you know, maybe they have a couple stores or maybe they haven't even expanded to a second and they're going, How do I, you know, start getting this path going? What advice would you have for them? And I'm not necessarily saying here's how you go from one to a hundred, but some general yeah. advice you would give to someone who's who's trying to, to start expanding.
1: Well,
2: you know, I, I I remember going to an all pro meeting uh I don't know, fifteen years ago and asking for a show. I put on a sales presentation. I asked for a show of hands of who had who had outside salespeople.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: and a, a room of forty people, maybe two or three raised their hands. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a big change. But we still see a lot of independent dealers that don't have outside salespeople. And I think that's if you want to grow even before you open that second store is, is try to develop a sales program and and you can't give it three months. You got to give it, you know, a a year, two years, uh, to be successful. Um, but I think, you know, that's, you know, if you're not out in front of your customers on the job site, somebody else is. And, and the other thing is don't be afraid to compete with anybody. Uh, you know, independent paint dealers are as competitive now, uh, as ever, um, you know, with the national companies, which you really, you know, you, you, know, you get the two national companies of PPG and Sheryl Williams, but uh, I think independent retailer, retailers are, are uh, kind of making a resurgence. I mean, for the first. Mm-hmm. 20 years I was in business. They were on the decline, uh, on the decline. But I think now that uh, the last few years we've seen them rebound, especially in 2021. We, uh, I think the independent dealers gained a lot of market share uh, from Sherwin Williams that when they were dealing with their uh, supply issues.
0: Yeah. Are there any other things in the paint industry that you see um, kind of changing how the independent dealer does business in the next, you know, five, 10 years? What are some things that that are, you know, on your mind?
2: Well, we're definitely paying attention to the uh, ability for contractors, especially these younger contractors coming up. We want to them to be able to order on their phone uh, or, you know, from their computer. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's hard for me to imagine, uh, you know, I think there's some people that think that's going to drastically change in the next three or four years. And, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm one that doesn't. I think that, you know, I, I'm still close enough to, to, to know the guys I know, the customers I know would rather call you up and tell you, hey, remember that paint I bought last week? I need 10 more gallons and you look at yeah. the color and get it out to my job site tomorrow. And that's going to be quicker than him trying to research the color and enter it on a phone and, and hope he gets the right paint. Yeah. he'd rather blame blame it on the paint store. And I think <laughs> that as an independent, we need to make sure that we're giving them the best customer service possible. Because uh, I think I think probably the, the Nationals may lean towards more of a uh, an economic version of taking care of customers and and. Uh, that's not always uh, the best way to take care of a customer, but we definitely got to have that option for them.
0: Totally. Totally. Well, I think those are all our questions. Is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners today, Travis?
2: Uh, not that I can think of. It's, uh, you know, one of the things that we're able to do is, is, and it, is some of the acquisitions we're doing this year. I mean, uh, you know, people get close to retirement, they don't have a succession plan and, uh, um you know that's that so those have been many of the acquisitions we've we've made or people that are just they've ran their business for 20 or 30 years or 40 or 50 years and 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 uh, you know they come time to retire or their health's failing them and and you know we've been in, uh, able to 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 make those acquisitions so you know as i guess to follow up to one of your questions while ago, so people are looking out there i think you know pay attention to some of those opportunities that are around you because we're only wanting to expand and around where we already have existing stores every once in a while we break off into a new area but uh you know that's not our you know we're not going to buy a store in the middle of uh Pennsylvania or New Jersey or anything like that right Idaho right
1: so cool all right well thanks so much for your time Travis it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little better and hearing more about the history of Spectrum Paint yeah we've uh looking forward to the future
0: we've enjoyed it and uh we will see you uh Katie and myself are going to be at the all pro show in October so if you're attending that we'll see you there
2: I will be there. Look forward to seeing you.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, listeners. We'll be talking to Grant Farnsworth about industry trends right after a word from our sponsor. Live Oak Bank offers financing for hardware stores nationwide for refinance, acquisitions, expansion and commercial real estate. Live Oak will support you with customized loan products focused on your success. Our hardware store loan experts embrace a creative approach to solving problems and surpassing goals. We understand the nuances of your business model and will help you avoid costly mistakes. Let's craft a loan solution that will help you thrive. Learn more at liveoakbank.com hardware stores.
3: Hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Um, On this special segment, we have a guest you're probably familiar with, uh, Grant Farnsworth of the Farnsworth Group is joining us to uh, chat some of the industry's latest updates. So thanks for joining, Grant.
4: Yeah, thanks for having us. Always good to be here.
3: Yeah. Um, So can you give us a little uh, just background for maybe some new listeners, just quick recap of who you are and and what the Farnsworth Group um, and HIRRI do?
4: Sure. Um, So the Farnsworth Group is a custom research firm that serves exclusively the building products, home improvement, lawn and garden industries. We've been doing it for 30 plus years. Our job is to help our clients make better decisions, easier decisions by providing research designed around their specific needs. On the other side of that coin is an organization that we run called the Home Improvement Research Institute. Check it out, hiri.org. Hiri is the best source of all secondary home improvement research and reports. So if you want to have a good, broad understanding of the home improvement industry when it comes to products, when it comes to channel, when it comes to customers, um, Hiri is a great, great place to start.
3: Awesome. Yeah, for those of you listeners out there who read uh, Hardware Retailing and or Paint Decorating Retailer, hopefully that's most of you, um, you probably uh, have seen either the Farnsworth Group or Hiri, uh in the pages of both of those publications uh, because we have had a longstanding relationship um, and we are always uh, relying on them for, like Grant said, just the latest uh, data that's going to help you uh, operate your businesses. So definitely check those out, um, and check out the organizations too. So um, today, uh, as our listeners are hearing this, um, we are at the at the start of the last month of the third quarter, uh, which sounds like a convoluted way to say uh, it's fall. Um, so. Uh, Grant, what I'd love to be able to for, you know, for you to talk through is kind of what has the last quarter been like in the channel? Um, what are some of the peaks and valleys, maybe? Um, and just kind of talk about what retailers are seeing or what the channel is seeing.
4: Yeah. You know what we're seeing in home improvement. And, and we track each month in partnership with Heary, um contractor behaviors as it relates to project activity and uh, DIY and diFM behaviors as it relates to project activity within their home. What we've been seeing this quarter is, is probably a, a lot of what others have been seeing which is which is some choppy water. We've got some uh, obviously rates going up that are um, you know impacting households that are impacting home purchases. Home purchases are important because that's a big catalyst for home improvement activity. Um, a lot of homeowners spend more when they sell and when they buy than when they do any other point in, in home ownership. So, you know, we, we, we've been tracking a lot on the home building side and the home buying side because of the implications it has on home improvement. I would encourage a lot of the retailers and, and those listening to make sure you're attuned to the home sales and home starts data, maybe more so than you use to follow uh, because the implications it is going to be having on home improvement. Um, and, and what we've been seeing is that intent, as it typically does in the summer months, um, intent for DIY projects is coming down month over month. That's historically the way that it works, Melanie, in the summer months. You know, we get a really good bump in, in the spring and, and and people coming out of their homes, ready to do some yard work and take on some projects. But as July and August comes, the kids are out of school, we're doing vacations, it's getting a little bit too hot in some areas to do some projects. So there's just that scale back of project activity. And, and we've seen that in our research. And we're also seeing it mirrored in retail dollars as we look, with the exception of July, as we look at May and June, you know, the spend on, on retail at home improvements and in hardware stores has, has gone down slightly each month. We are still up Uh, year to date, more than we were uh, 21 at this time and more than we were Mm at 2020 at this time. So sales continue to go up. Um, The other thing, though, that we are hearing and seeing at retail, and and if you listened into um, Depot's uh, earnings call, as well as Lowe's earnings call yesterday, Mm -hmm. um, they're acknowledging that traffic is down. Mm -hmm. So we're now starting to see dollars stay up, likely because of price increases and inflation, but actual units being lower and foot traffic being lower. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's going to be this interesting dynamic of we may still see some pretty good sales, but it's probably more inflation-related, and it may be more related to larger projects. As you look at Depot's reportings, and I know we've got a lot of clients on the independent side, starting to see some higher ticket uh, sale uh, sales yeah. happen and, and a larger sure. share of sales being higher ticket. Um, and also there's the pro side of the business. I think this is one area... Uh, for retail hardware home improvement to really really be thinking about is that pro market. Um, certainly um, an important uh, group for uh, paint channel and, and paint suppliers. Um, but that mm. pro market, melanie, as we look at where opportunity lies over the next 18, 24 months, um, you know we're, we're pretty optimistic on the pros because of the volume of work that we see being done on remodel projects, you know larger home improvement projects that require um, pro skills.
3: Yeah, I've seen, seen uh, talking on the pro side a lot about, um, you know, contractors who are doing more of those remodel projects instead of new builds, which obviously yeah. is there in the data. Um, and I think some of that is also, you know, people are finally getting to those projects that they booked a year and a half ago because yep. demand was so high. And, and do, you, do you find that that demand will continue to increase for those types of projects?
4: I think some of the larger projects, we're going to see some increases for those. What's interesting is that we've got a backlog of projects with a lot of contractors. We talk with contractors on a, on a daily basis, either qualitative mm-hmm. or quantitative research. Um, some Some are backed up, you know, six, nine months. So they've yeah. sold work. Nine months ago, that they have yet to start. So the budget was different then, um, you know, the, the the environment was different then. But there, there's there's going to be, I think, this lag effect that we see of of still closing out on projects we have yet to start on, but contractors have sold. That's going to mm-hmm. help sustain. We also see the um, starts and permits on the new housing side pretty solid. And when I say starts, I mean those 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 homes that have been started in construction, but have yet to be completed. Um, there, there's a, a backlog of those started homes that will carry us forward for several months. I think that's really, really important because when we look at consumer confidence, when we look at contractor uh, builder confidence, um, we see those declining pretty drastically. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that is is pretty common as we look over various cycles for the past 30 plus years, when rates go up, when there's, you know, Uh, world events happening um, during election times and that confidence drops, it oftentimes can be short-lived. And and particularly, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, um, um, mortgage rates. Um, The fact Mm -hmm. that those have almost doubled in a very short period of time causes a consumer to retreat as Mm -hmm. a knee-jerk reaction. But almost every time we see it normalize after, you know, six, seven, nine months, Okay, the mortgage rate is five and a half percent. The mortgage rate's five percent. It is what it is. That's 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 normal. I want a house, let's go get it. Uh-huh. So I, I think there's still some underlying fundamentals, such as the demand that's out there, the pent up demand that we still have yet to address, Melanie, that's gonna help us sustain all of this kind of choppy water right now. And 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 certainly the fundamentals would tell us that there's there's nothing in the supply-demand fundamentals that would suggest that we are going to s- experience a crash and correction the way that we did in 2008. It, it just mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be possible, particularly given the demand that is out there. It, it may be being sidelined right now sure. because rates are going up and folks are being kind of kicked out of the market from an affordability standpoint. The, the, the housing affordability metric is like the lowest it's been in, in about 20 years. Mm-hmm. But those are people that still want to buy. They may be renting now. This is why we see multifamily going crazy.
3: Yeah.
4: So that demand, that, that eagerness to to buy and to own is still there, um, which is very, very encouraging for the market. As opposed to 2007 and eight, the demand went away. No one wanted to buy. No one wanted sure. to get in the market. So sure. I, I, I think we've got some solid uh, things behind us that are going to carry us forward for the next maybe nine or 12 months as things start normalizing, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, yeah. So let's take uh, a look at the Q4. Um, Mm -hmm. So traditionally, what are kind of the you know, as that demand slows going into the last quarter of the year, what are kind of the key areas that retailers might be able to focus on um, to kind of make up for those slower sales as far as a category or product perspective?
4: Yeah, we're hearing more and more about pricing. When we look at the yeah. top three challenges every month for the past three months, uh, four months um, uh, of the data that we've got, um, the, the, the top two challenges when we ask pros is still material availability. So that remains mm-hmm. a headache. But that's starting to resolve itself to some degree because we've got lowered, slightly lower demand just enough while we've got some categories that are increasing manufacturing and output. So availability is still a pain point, but it's... It's going to start resolving itself to a certain degree. Sure. The number two thing that's rivaling availability now in recent months, Melanie, is pricing. Mm-hmm. Price pressures, budget. And we're also now starting to hear it from homeowners. It's the number one reason homeowners do a DIY project is because they believe they can do it themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and contractors are starting to you know, kind of shout from the rooftops that I now have to make some decisions based on budget. We, we haven't been in that world for quite a while. So as a retailer, sure. I'm really thinking through my merchandising strategy. I'm really thinking through pricing strategy to maybe start aligning with a good, better, best in a way that I haven't had to worry about for the last two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever was on the shelf was moving, regardless of the price sure. point. Homeowners were buying it. Contractors were buying it. If it's available, I'll take it because I need to get the work done. I want to get the work done. Yeah. But I think we're going to be transitioning to a much more price sensitive market for the next maybe 18 or 24 months as prices stay high. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's going to drive a different type of buying behavior um, that we just haven't seen. So retailers need to prepare for it for sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, We have a uh, pricing uh, feature story available in uh, the current issue of hardware retailing. Um,
4: So... Good timing. Yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are your dealers saying? What are you hearing?
3: Yeah. It's uh, it's a uh, focused on pricing for new managers. So, you know, if you've brought in new people, um, this is, this is the place to send them so they can kind of get those insights and strategies. So
4: no better time. No better yeah. time.
3: Yeah. Um, Grant, uh, I have, uh, I'm just going to leave it open. If there's anything that you definitely want to, uh, pitch to, talk about. Um, I hear there's an event coming up for you in a couple of weeks. Uh, so,
4: Yeah, we, we've got a couple of events, um, <laughs> both for manufacturers as well as uh, retailers. Um, the first is the HIRI uh, Home Improvement Insights Summit. That is going to be downtown Chicago. There is a virtual option as well. If you don't want to mm-hmm. travel or can't travel, um, go to hirisummit.com to get some information It's a great event every year that brings in some of the the best uh, minds of home improvement. We talk a lot about product and project activity. We talk about what's happening at the channel level, you know, big box versus hardware store, you know, what's changing, what needs to change. And we talk about the overall economics of the home improvement market. Um, Where have we been? Where are we and where are we heading? So it's a a killer day and a half in Chicago, September 20th through 21st. Go to HearySummit.com. You can get more information uh, and then the Farmsworth Group is hosting events uh, in Denver, Colorado, on October 12th and 13th. Uh, yeah. Much more of a workshop environment, so real intimate atmosphere with a lot of um, brand managers, marketing managers, product managers, um, you know, merchandising managers. Really thinking through how do we attract uh, pro and homeowner customers what are the needs of customers these days um what happens with branding choices what happens with channel selection so just a great opportunity for some for some colleagues to get together uh, in september and october to really discuss the industry uh, and help one another as we think about the next you know, 12 and 24 months
3: awesome awesome you will see representatives from an hpa at likely both of those events so uh, we're happy to be there um, the one thing I'll add is uh, anybody out there listening um, to uh, check your your email um, because NHPA and the Farnsworth group are shortly launching um, a research project together um, mm-hmm. so everything that that grant just touched on um, we're going to be reaching out to you to get um, what your real world take is on all of this action that's happening, whether it's pricing or how your margins are doing, um, all of those things. So uh, stay tuned for that um, and go to yournhpa.org slash subscribe to make sure you're on the list to get those surveys.
4: Can't wait for that collaboration. I think it's gonna reveal a lot of important data for the industry and for other other retailers to be seeing what the sentiment is and attitude. So yeah, excited about that.
3: Yeah, it'll be it'll be a good a good thing to come out. And uh, like I said, it's going to be quarterly. Um, So we're going to be checking the temperature on a regular basis um, and putting together a really great wealth of information for people. So all right, Grant, thanks so much for your time today. Always a pleasure yeah. to hear your insights. Um, and uh, like I said, we'll see you um, on the road in a couple of places this fall. Um, right. And right. Uh, listeners can can plan to tune in to hear Grant again uh, as, a, as a guest in a couple of months.
4: Thanks as always, appreciate it.
3: Thanks so much.